on the virtual Bible study tonight. We're going to talk about worship. But a little different take on it. We're going to talk about what we're hearing, and we hear this more and more, contemporary worship. Yeah. We want to talk about some of the aspects of what people are identifying as contemporary worship. All right, we're going to get started on this important topic right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, October 15th, 2020. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob. Good. My father, Greg Gwyn, is here. Hello, Dad. Good to be with you, Jacob. Glad to be with you. Kyle's here. Kyle, welcome. It's good to be here. Glad that you're here. Special guest that just uh, blew into town today, uh, my father-in-law, uh, Nick Law, is here. Hello, Nick. Glad that you're here. Glad to be with you all. I don't know about that, whether he blew in. Now, we got a strong north wind. He didn't come from the north. No, he, he come came up from the south. Yeah, that's right. We, we try to blow him out, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> glad that you're here tonight. And we're glad that you're listening on the other end of the line tonight. And we want to hear from you at 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. We're in the chat room tonight uh, on the program. You make the program better when you comment, and we encourage you to do that. Even if you disagree, yeah. we want to hear from you. little housekeeping here real quick. Uh, we've got a, a gospel meeting coming up now. It's just a week away, a week from tomorrow. Crazy. Friday the 23rd, Saturday the 24th, and Sunday the 25th. Jim Deason, who's well-known in this area and, and known by lots of people countrywide, he preaches regularly in Coleman, Alabama. He, years ago, he was a preacher here at College View. And so he's sort of coming back to his uh, home base, we could say, Uh he is an Alabamian, but he, he spent a good bit of preaching time right here in Columbia, Tennessee. And we're looking forward to having Jim uh, here. And if you're within a driving distance, we hope you will come. Uh, we'll try to maintain all appropriate corona, coronavirus precautions. Uh, uh, but if you can come, come. If you can't come, Kyle, I'm assuming we'll live stream those services on our College View live stream, right? Yeah, Lord willing, we'll uh, get the stream out. Yeah. Can you, Kyle, can you, like, check zip codes, though, and make sure that anybody that's, like, close doesn't watch? That they have to be the they first blackout. Yeah, we'll yeah, blackout, blackout. Yeah. blackout. That's what we need, a blackout. They're a a <laughs> geographical block, <laughs> yeah. blackout like yeah. they do on sporting yeah. events. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, if you can come, that's next weekend. Okay. Uh, there's there's an announcement of it on our homepage at collegeview.com. Collegeview.com and find Find out more. If you've got questions, questions at collegeview.com's email address you can use to get some of those answered uh, about that if you have questions. About yeah. It. And then, of course, we encourage you to get a bumper sticker. Send us an email. Uh, ask for a bumper sticker. You have to give us your physical mailing address, and we'll send one to you. Uh, also, get on our get on our uh, virtual Bible study update list, uh, email update list, if you're not already, by sending us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Say, put me on the list. We will do that. So I'm getting if there's a theme here, you just need to know one email address, and you can take care of a lot of business. You can get a lot letter. done at college. Just let us know. Collegeview.com. Uh, yeah. Email us at collegeview.com. Questions at collegeview.com. All right. Contemporary worship tonight. All right. So we are hearing more and more about contemporary worship, and I, I suspect that those who are listening know what we're talking about. You, you know, I have even been driving down the road in, in front of a denominational church building. It will say contemporary worship, or, or usually it says traditional worship. 8.30 or 9, and contemporary worship at 10.30. I but, guess the uh, contemporary folks don't like to get up as early they as got, the traditional folks. Yeah, they got the better time slot, maybe. Yeah, I don't but, know. But you, you see these groups that are offering both, a traditional worship and a contemporary worship. Well, that that sort of leads to the question, what what would be the distinguishing difference between those two things? What If worship is worship, how I don't know, you know, and so it's worth discussing. What is this contemporary worship thing? Okay. So we sent out to our update list earlier today these questions. Number one, what is the proper definition of worship? And as a follow-up to that, what is the purpose of worship? Is it solely for God, or is there a design benefit for the worshipers too? Can we justify a worship practice on the simple basis that the worshipers are encouraged by it? They like it. 
Okay. Number two, what do you know about and how would you scripturally evaluate overt efforts to, pro to provoke spontaneous responses from the congregation, including outbursts, applause, and so forth? Okay. What are praise teams and worship leaders? Okay. And what about worship dramas? Okay. And is could could that be compared to simply what we do when we use a PowerPoint presentation during a sermon or something? What is there a difference between worship drama and a PowerPoint slideshow during a sermon? You have to define it. Is worship drama like when your baby throws up all over in your lap? That's or? drama, but that's not what we're talking okay, about. Okay, well, I thought. Yeah. Uh, number three: Can women have any part in the worship service? What limitations are placed on women in okay. worship? Okay. All right. Number four, what would you say about charismatic outbursts during worship services? And finally, I, I want to hear this discussed. I think it's important. Does an assembly on Saturday evening qualify as a first day of the week worship? Okay. In other words, uh, and you see that. You see that. Uh, Catholic churches are prone to have a Saturday evening service. Got pretty popular in Nashville when they got the professional football team, and folks wanted to go to the football game on yeah, Saturday. So Sunday the Catholics are not the only ones to do that, but the denominations so do Saturday that. night, so you can get to the football game on Sunday morning. Uh, yeah. Okay. So I think that's important to discuss. Okay. Okay. All right. So let's start out with that first one. What is a proper definition of worship? My friend Mark White had an article about this just recently, and I saw where he did a little word study on worship. That okay. The word, our word, our English word, worship, comes from the Anglo-Saxon word worthscribe. Worthscribe. Uh, and you see the word worth in there. And, and that old English, uh, Anglo-Saxon word indicates an object uh, worthy of respect. Its most basic meaning is declaring something or someone worthy. Okay. All right, so that's the idea of worship. Got it. In the New Testament, the word most commonly used for worship is pros, proscuneo, I think mm -hmm. I'm saying that right, which means literally to make obeisance, to do reverence toward. The Old Testament word shaka is the term most often used, and it means to worship, prostrate oneself, bow low. Okay. So if you look at those words, you get the idea that worship is the idea of giving honor, respect, paying obeisance toward something or someone. Okay. Now, Mark, I thought he made an interesting distinction. He says sometimes we think of worship and praise being the same, that we almost use them just identically synonymous. They are not, he says. There are two different responses. Praise is a response to what God does. Worship is a response to who God is. Oh, okay. That and then I, I, I liked his illustration. He said a dog owner praises his animal when the dog obeys a command. But he does not worship the dog. We praise God for what he does, but we worship him for who he is. Good. I, thought that was, I thought that was yeah, pretty good. I like that. I like that. That helps. So, right. so anyway, the idea that I think the right definition of worship is to pay homage, give obeisance, honor the one, honor God for who he is. We praise him for what he does. God does all kinds of wonderful things for us all the time in both the physical and the spiritual realm, and we praise him for that. And that's, and that's biblical. We, we ought to give praise to God. But worship and praise are not totally synonymous. Kent in Calhoun, Georgia, responded to your question about what is the proper definition of worship. He references that Greek word proskuneo uh, is defined as doing reverence. And so okay. he's on the same page there. All right. So since that is the definition, then the follow-up is what's the purpose of worship is it solely for God, or is there a design benefit for worshipers too? Well, I ask that question almost like a trick question, because God doesn't need anything we do. It's not for him in the sense that he's dependent upon us. You yeah. know, uh, I, I, I think there are some people who believe, oh, I've, I've got to go to church. God needs this from me. God doesn't need that. 
God doesn't need anything we have to offer. I mean, to, to prove that point, we could just emphasize that God existed for an eternity before there were any mortal human beings around to offer him worship. Um. And after this earth is gone and the physical universe destroyed, God will continue for an eternity without any human beings around to offer worship to him. So in that sense, God does not need this. You got me on the trick question. Okay. I, I, missed, your, I missed your point there. But... Is worship just about honoring God? That's the way I read it. That's the way I read it. And I think we have to say, it, no, there's, there's another element in the design of worship that is demonstrated in Hebrews 10.25. Hebrews 10.25, well-known verse, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So, Part of the design of coming together is the God in his wisdom designed this so that we would be edified in the process. Everything that God instructs us to do, he instructs us to do it because he knows it's in our best interest to do it. Okay. And so, you know, certainly worship is to honor God, but worship is also designed for the very purpose of edifying and encouraging us in spiritual matters as well. Nick, any thoughts from you? I think as we as we see, I think the point y'all were making about praising God and honoring Him, we see that in the model prayer in Matthew, the sixth chapter, where Jesus in His teaching there says, "After this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name, holy, holy is God's name." And so the idea is, as we look to God, we're giving Him praise for who He is, mm -hmm. and as you mentioned earlier, everything that we're able to do or can do is because God has designed us, made us, and give us the instruction on how to go about doing that. Exactly right. One of the verses that comes to mind, you think about this idea of, of worshiping God being a benefit to us, 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning of verse 14, in the context of Christians suffering for being righteous. Now, verse 14, if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are you, and do not be afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. Verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you the reason of hope that is in you with meekness fear. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. When I worship God and get, I get him in that elevated place that needs to be in my life, then that helps me deal with what I'm dealing with here on earth. Okay, I think that's right. Exactly right. Um, now, the, the, the final follow-up on this idea of worship. So we worship God. We're not worshiping one another, obviously. You know, we might praise one another. You know, I might I might praise a fellow Christian for some very good thing that he has done. But I would never worship a fellow Christian. Worship is for God exclusively. But in the act of worshiping God, we also benefit from that as we are built up and strengthened in spiritual things. Mm -hmm. Now, with that groundwork could we justify a worship practice simply on the basis that worshipers are encouraged by it so you, you got to be consistent here we just said worship has a designed element of encouraging us okay that being the case nick i'm really encouraged when i'm on the lake and i hook into a big largemouth bass so that, I mean, that's thrilling. I'm excited. That's wonderful. Could I justify bringing that somehow into the worship experience simply because it really encourages me? Watching bull riding gives me a big rush. We always talk about that, yeah. Right, but I mean, they've done that. I think it's up in Ohio. They brought the bull ring into the I, more than more places than I think oh, really? they did it in Nashville too. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's right. They did. I think. Yeah. So can I do that? I mean, I'm, those people left. They were energized. They were charged up. Bull riding for Jesus. Yeah. So th that's the point we want to make here, because some of that kind of stuff has been brought in and allowed into these modern contemporary worship settings, because. People really like it. It fires them up. It gets them excited. They're encouraged by it. And, and our point would be that, that, we, that, is, that is a secondary consideration to the ultimate consideration is serve God, honor him, worship him. When we do that the way he told us to do it, then we are built up and encouraged in the ways he wants us to be. And so 
it, it, I think it would probably rest on the matter of authority. God has authorized us how he wants us to worship him. And therefore, it doesn't leave open the door to everything that we might imagine that we think is exciting or thrilling. So here's the challenge. As you talk about bull riding, you talk about church on the lake, you talk about any other type of crazy idea that you want to think about. If you're going to draw a line and say, no, that's too much, that's too much, then how do you draw that line? On what basis do you draw that line? What is your standard? And whatever your answer will be on that, then we have to use that to justify a contemporary worship. Now, if you just say, well, it seems to me that's too much, then why is contemporary If worship? bull riding is too much, then what about the guy who says, well, when you have the... Uh, we're going to talk in a minute about the praise team with the, with the flashing lights and the smoke-generating machines. Uh, if, if, if you are going to exclude bull riding, then he says, well, how do you justify some of these other innovations that have come in? And the, the fact of the matter is you've got to get back to an absolute standard. The only standard you can have is God's Word. Exactly. Otherwise, that's, that's it, otherwise you're binding your opinions. You, you just got a problem with the bull riding. Now, you don't like bull riding. What's I up, do. What's up with that? Yeah, I happen to like that. Just because you don't like it doesn't mean you get a ch you, that you can say no. You make what, what happens is when you get away from the word and you make any kind of line, then what you're doing is you're binding your opinion. You've now established a law that's not God's law, and uh, we know the condemnation of that. Yeah. And Colossians three seventeen is the verse we always fall back to. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus or by the authority of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. All right. And we and Kent's finish up Let's with Kent, Kent's and we'll get a break. He says the purpose of worship is to demonstrate reverence for God as a side benefit. When Christians give scriptural worship to God, they receive biblical edification. Just because one may be encouraged by an action does not mean that they have worshipped God in spirit and truth. In in uh, I receive encouragement by watching college basketball on TV, participating in target shooting, and enjoying coffee and donuts. However, such certainly does not constitute New Testament worship or spiritual edification. Yeah, so is Kent going to set up a, a shooting range in the in the church building? And, you know, sort of halfway through the Sunday morning service, uh, everybody with a firearm, line up and take shots. Mm. No, not? no, well, why not? But, I mean, the point of that, obviously, is... Yeah. If you again, what you were saying, if you if you're going to exclude some things, you've got to exclude all things that are not expressly it authorized in the word. To, of God. There has to be an absolute standard, otherwise we're binding human opinions and human doctrines, and we can't do that. We have to demand scriptural authority for all that we do. Yeah. Time to get a break. Eric is waiting for you to get on the bull. He wants to see you right here. <laughs> Sunday that's morning. Gonna, you're gonna, Sunday morning gonna, at you're gonna have to, don't hold your breath. Eric. Okay, all right. Uh we're gonna get a break and when we get back we'll get your comments. Don't go anywhere, we're back right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks it. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the virtual Bible study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the virtual Bible study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Nothing is easier than saying words. Nothing is harder than living them day after day. The chief cause of failure and unhappiness is trading what we want most for what we want at the moment. No man is free who is not master of himself. Man, wish I'd said that. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight as we talk about worship to God and contemporary worship, and we're examining that on the program tonight. We need to really emphasize this, though. You know, sometimes people say, well, you're just being too picky, saying you've got to have Bible authority for all that you do. Well, this is where it gets down to really the application of that. If we don't demand it, and if we don't demand it in every aspect of our life, both, both corporately as a church and individually in our lives, if we don't demand Bible authority in everything, we can't demand it in anything, and we can't draw any lines. Once you open that door and say, yes, this is not authorized, but I like it, 
then you have to let anybody bring in something that is not authorized as long as they say they like it. You cannot draw any lines, and that's what Dwight and Michelle have added in the chat room tonight. They have referenced Matthew 15, verse 9, but in vain they do worship me, teaching the commandments of men, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. If I, if I just say, you know, I'm going to have worship with fog machines and strobe lights, but you can't have worship with bulls, that's a commandment of men. If I can't go to the Bible and say, here's why. No. And, it's, and, and if I can't go to the Bible and say, you can't have bull riding because it's not authorized, and then I do things that aren't, aren't authorized, then that just makes me a hypocrite. Yeah. Uh, and so you've got all kinds of problems, all kinds of things that are, uh, you open up Pandora's box in so many different ways if we do not have Bible authority for everything we do. Okay, very good. All right, so let's dive into the second question. And this really gets to the heart of this contemporary worship business. What do you know about and how would you scripturally evaluate, first of all, overt efforts to provoke, to provoke spontaneous responses from the congregation, including verbal outbursts, applause, and that sort of thing? Okay. Uh, now, we're going to talk in a minute about praise team and worship leaders okay. and worship dramas. We'll talk about that in a minute. But first of all, just what about in these contemporary settings, as I understand it, and I've seen some videos on YouTube. As I understand it, the, there is a strong emphasis on evoking r responses from the audience, you know, uh, get them to shout out verbal responses, get them to applaud, especially applause. And that's, that's uh, uh, clapping hands has become almost a universally accepted worship practice, it seems, in, in our day. Uh, what about that sort of thing? Where you, I, I'm going to argue that in in this in this whole category of things, we have got to respect the command of 1 Corinthians 14:40, which says, "Let all things be done decently and in order." You know, uh, so if if there's if if there are spontaneous outbursts, you know, uh, if Nick's sitting over there tonight, just started hollering while we're trying to trying to make, uh, you know, some discussion here, we'd say he's out of order. He or he's lost his mind. Yeah. But, uh, but somehow or another, that's supposed to be okay in worship services. Uh, uh, you know, very often you hear denominational preachers actually asking for responses from the audience. A, a typical thing is, can I get an Amen. You know, they, uh, you know, they want, they, uh, uh, they ask for various forms of agreement to something. They say, we're going to talk about amen in a minute, which actually is a biblical response, but we'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, applause, for instance, I, I, I found an article by Gardner Hall. Many of our uh, listeners know Gardner Hall. He says, there's no reference to hand clapping in New Testament, absolutely no indication that it was part of the worship of churches for hundreds of years after Christ. He's, uh, in regards to hand clapping to show appreciation for one another. So uh, maybe someone, uh, we'll talk in a minute about special music, but maybe someone sings a solo or a quartet, performs a, a number, and everybody applauds to show appreciation for these individuals and, and their part in this worship assembly. He says, clapping to show appreciation for others has been a part of Western culture for millennia. For that reason, it's common to applaud at someone's birthday or an awards presentation at school or other social events. But when we worship, it is a coming together to sing and pray to the Lord, not to praise one another. That's exactly right. When I applaud uh, at a sporting event, I applaud you know, the, the so the shortstop makes a fantastic grab on a on a hot grounder and throws the guy out at first base. We applaud. I don't say amen. That that wouldn't fit. Yeah, that doesn't. But yeah. applaud is great job. Praise to you. Yeah. And when we do it, in I was at a congregation uh, many years ago. Someone went forward to be baptized. They're baptized, and the room breaks out in applause. What did that person do that deserves applause? He. Jesus is the one who 
needs all the praise yeah. there, not the guy who submitted to Jesus's request to be baptized. Yeah, Gardner Hall says, Gardner Hall says, in that designated time to give praise to the Lord, applause for each other becomes a distraction. Yeah. Uh, and then he specifically mentioned clapping to show approval during the preaching. Uh, and, and that is a common practice. But he, he, he notes that uh, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, they all, they both, both the Old and New Testaments employ the word amen to describe how God's followers express their approval of the message. It means, so it is, so be it. That's the literal meaning of amen. That's from Thayer. While applause tends to focus attention on a performer or a speaker, saying amen focuses on the truth of the message. I thought that was a good distinction. So if I, so Nick preaches a lesson and I applaud him. Well, then I'm showing appreciation for Nick's person and his, and his oratorical skills. Mm -hmm. But if I say amen to the message he delivers, then I'm saying I'm in agreement with the truth that he and, just proclaimed. And, uh, and hopefully in agreement with God's truth. Yeah, yeah that's right. And, and yeah. we might add those amens, even when we amen them, they need to be well-placed if they're audible because many times people get enthusiastic and you hear a lot of that going on, and then you miss maybe what the speaker is saying after that. Yeah, and so and, the decent and, and orderly aspect can be violated even with amens. And one of the things we can always do in amening what someone says, we don't even have to say it audibly in order to. We, we might even, sometimes you see people in the audience that is agreeing with the point you're making that gives the speaker encouragement and and sees that others are in agreement, just nod yeah. their head. Yeah. You know, they, they're following. And I know you would, and as a preacher, and I know you'd say, I, 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 there's a few people usually in any congregation that are big head nodders mm -hmm. and you notice them and, and you kind of, it kind of fortifies you to continue on when you see somebody nodding their head. As long as they have their eyes open when they're nodding. Their head. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, to, to your point about even amen can be a distraction. If it, it can be out of order, if it's not handled carefully, we, uh, uh, years ago, another preacher and I were negotiating with a Pentecostal preacher to set up a debate and one of the rules that we were trying to insist upon was no outbursts from the audience. And, and this Pentecostal preacher, well, how can you keep people from saying amen if they want to say amen? Amen's okay. Amen's not a distraction. And so I let that go for a couple of minutes. And as we continued to talk, just out of the blue, I shouted, amen. And, 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 this, and the guy jumped back. And I said, you see the point? Even amen can be a distraction if it's not done carefully. It, now, it is biblical to say amen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, in the very chapter that tells us to do all things uh, decently and in order, uh, in verse 16 of 1 Corinthians 14, uh, Paul says, uh, how shall the one, in other words, if you're speaking in an unknown tongue and it's not discernible, how shall the, uh, the one that occupieth the room of the unlearned say amen at thy giving of thanks, seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest? But notice that the implication is it's, it, you would, it would be under, it, it's understood that in such an assembly it would be appropriate to say amen if you agreed with what was said. Uh, so amen is a scriptural response. But even it can be out of order. And I would say that that is the exclusive response that we have in the New Testament. That, 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 that's a binding example of how we should show our approval. Yeah. It says we do that by the saying of amen. It, and, and so we'd say, just like we would with, with singing, we'd say, well, that's, a, that's ex exclusive. It's binding. That's the only example that we have, only command we have about giving thanks or giving approval is by the saying of amen. Yeah. Not you by know? clapping hands. Right. Well, and think about this. Clapping their hands is one way that people express appreciation, or, or, but, you know, that's not the only way that they express appreciation in a sporting event. Kyle, you're a big hockey fan. The cowbells, huh? You know, that, is that still a big thing in hockey? It can be. Yeah. It's not as much as it used to be. Well, what so. about that? Could we bring cowbells into the worship? Which, and if know, the I'm preacher not, makes a good point, we ring the cowbells? I'm not sure if you remember, during the World Cup, it's been more than 10 years oh, ago, yeah. the Vuvuzelas. Yeah. Those were like, those yeah. most annoying. Yeah. The most, they had those, those were actually made appearances in hockey games, but those were distracting. They actually banned those at soccer games yeah. because they were just terribly distracting. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, uh, on the cowbells, you know, Mississippi State football, they're big to, to ring cowbells when they 
rooting on their team, and that's a big distraction to the opponent team. Yeah. Can't hear the signals that they're giving, and so anything like that is obviously but, distracting. But why not? If I can clap, why can't I bring in the cowbells again? We've got an exa uh, the command here of, of what or the example of what's binding there. Say amen, and I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Uh, finally, we're just we need to take a break. But one last thing on this clapping of hands, and Gardner Hall mentioned this in his article. Uh, um, it, what about clapping hands in the worship? I, I mean, and uh, in, in the singing part of worship. You know, clapping the hands. You, you know, you go to a bluegrass festival. And people are going to be clapping their hands to the music. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's a standard part of bluegrass music, I'm sure. So what about that? Could we, could we incorporate hand clapping? Foot stomping. Foot stomping. The toe tap. And now, there may be some toe tapping, but it's not audible. You know, if the guy in the back row just happens to be tapping his foot as we're singing, I mean, that's not distracting anybody. Nobody hears that. But foot stomping would be, or hand clapping. What about that? Could, I mean... Well, again, there's no indication that that was ever the practice of New Testament Christians. And uh, Gardner Hall points out that what the Lord requests of us is the fruit of the lips. Read this, Hebrews 13, verse 15. By him, therefore, uh, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Mm, good point. Uh, not the... Clapping of our hands, but the fruit of our lips. That's good praise point. God. All right. Uh, Dwight and Michelle said, only speaking is permitted, whether in song or in teaching, for, from what I read. Uh, that's yeah. a good point. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right. Uh, okay. When we get back from this break, we've got to talk about uh, praise teams, worship leaders, and worship dramas. Kent says, uh, spontaneous responses such as outbursts, applaud, etc., such as based upon emotionalism and or entertainment, not New Testament authority. I think he's right. Thank you for that, Kent. We'll get your comments. You send them into the chat room. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this week's bullet point. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. A visitor to our services asked about our practice of using visual aids during the sermon. Specifically, it was asked why we oppose the use of instrumental music but allow the use of a projector to display charts and graphics during the lesson. The basic answer to this question involves distinguishing the difference between something which aids versus something which adds. For example, in baking cookies, the process is aided by the use of a baking pan, a spatula, and a hot pad. In fact, it will be hard to make cookies without these aids but we will ruin the product if we add something to the list of ingredients. For instance, chocolate chip cookies don't taste right when you add pickles in the recipe. In the same way, we can properly use things which aid our worship, so long as we do not change the end result. For instance, the Lord's Supper is aided by the use of a plate or tray on which the elements of the supper, the bread and the fruit of the vine, are distributed to each worshiper. This does not change the act of worship, it would be wrong, however, to add jelly to the bread or substitute a different drink instead of grape juice. In the same way, we can use a visual aid during the preaching of a sermon. It has been repeatedly proven that people retain more of what they are taught when they both hear and see the main points of emphasis. Therefore, a printed outline or words written on a blackboard are helpful to the learning process. Similarly, a computer-driven video projector is a significant aid in teaching God's Word. As long as the end result, that is, teaching biblical truth, is not changed, the use of appropriate aids is not wrong. Now, what about music and worship? Some things will serve as valuable aids. A pitch pipe or tuning fork can help the leader start the song correctly. Song books or the projection of the songs on a screen definitely improve our worship by keeping us all in the same verse singing the same words. These are simply aids, and the end result is not altered. We sing. Ephesians 5.19, Colossians 3.16. However, if we add an instrument to the mix, we're doing something different. We're now singing and playing, and the latter is not authorized in New Testament worship. Colossians 3, verse 17. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I'm James Buchanan from Columbia, Tennessee, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. We're back on the program tonight. Remind you, this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us at our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeview.com. And, uh, yeah, the streaming is out there, Kyle. As long as you're not in immediate uh, Columbia, Tennessee area, it's uh, a good way to find out what we're doing. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, which, uh, of course, we're doing less. We're streaming on Sundays at least three uh, lessons a day, three times. We have two worship services in our Bible study, so Wednesday nights. So it's we're getting out there. If you're not able to come, it's a good uh, supplement to your... Now, now Nick would be authorized to view that stream, right? He's still, he's 500 miles away. That'd be good. And Nick, have you checked out the stream? Well, we we've uh, actually moved our midweek service uh, to Tuesday night where I worship, and I get to listen to y'all and others on other nights when, yeah. you know, especially since you, uh, it's a Wednesday night. Yeah. Oh, good. We'll listen to Greg, and I think y'all are in act. Yeah. 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 Good. We keep up with. Good. 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 All right. All right, so in this in this general context of contemporary worship, we had a question about what do, what how do you evaluate praise teams and worship leaders? If I was going to and this may be people may think I'm making an unfair comparison, but it's almost like there's a lead singer and he's got a backup band. You know, that's that's the way I view these worship leaders and and their praise teams okay. there's they're sort of the star of the show this praise leader uh but he's got he's got a good backup band behind him you know who sings uh melody or harmonies and and plays the instruments and so forth but he's out here in front and he's 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 the main star of the show um could we say this if you watch some of that stuff, it's pretty thrilling stuff. I mean, if you like good music, some of that, those people are, are really skilled magicians. Musicians. What did I say? Magicians. Well, maybe magicians, too. You have, <laughs> uh, rabbits you have, coming out of hats or something? Well, it's almost like a magic show with all the, the fog machines okay. and, every, and yeah. flashing lights and everything. Yeah. It's almost like a magic show, but they are musicians. Uh, the... Uh, uh, if, especially if you like sort of rock music, or or if if you like that genre of of or style of music, that's pretty good stuff. Those people are are skilled in what they do. Mm -hmm. All right. So, uh, what's wrong with that? What, what's wrong with? It? I, I want to approach this in a couple of ways. One way is: shouldn't a person be able to use their particular skill set in worshiping God? I don't know about you, Nick, but I've heard this argument through the years. You know, Sister Jones is just very skilled on the piano or the organ. Why shouldn't she be able to use her skill set? That's, that's her particular gift. Why shouldn't she be able to use her gift in the worship? You know, these people that I'm talking about are clearly skilled. These, these worship leaders with their praise teams are clearly skilled individuals. They have real talent. There's just no doubt they have real talent. Why shouldn't they be able to display their talent in the worship service? What's wrong with that? Well, again, I, I think we would argue this from <clears throat> the idea that Jesus described in Matthew chapter 6 and Sermon on the Mount, doing what you do to be seen of men, you know, why? Why should? Why should that be a? In other words, I'm, I'm, I'm a skilled auto mechanic, and what I want to do, I want to display my skill in the worship service. I want to rebuild a car engine right there, in the in, at the front of the auditorium, in the middle of the worship service. I think in the time frame of the worship service, I can give that thing a ring job and seat the valves. What are you, a NASCAR pit? crew yeah I, i'm skilled man i'm skilled i could do it why why shouldn't i be able to use my skill set well everybody said that's ridiculous okay point made that it, it's not about dis displaying ourselves it's not doing what we do to be seen of men it's to praise god and worship him right so that's the first way to approach that uh the second thing is has to do with music and worship specifically and the praise teams and the worship leaders are not the only violators of this concept this goes way back this goes way back in in innovative innovations to new testament worship what what we have called in the past special music a soloist a quartet a church choir all of that's wrong because it doesn't fit the new testament pattern the new testament pattern is for congregational singing, and we see that in Ephesians chapter 5, 
Notice in Ephesians chapter 5, it says in verse 18, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. No, notice you're speaking to yourselves, but the clearer statement of that is in Colossians 3, verse 16, mm-hmm. where it says, teaching and admonishing one another. Notice it's the same. It's almost a, a perfectly parallel passage. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing of grace in your hearts to the Lord. The, the, the idea of these instructions is that this is reciprocal activity. I teach you, I admonish you, you teach me, you admonish me. It's a give and take. Now, if you're doing all the singing, you might teach me, probably could, but I wouldn't be teaching you. And so that's the re- that's why all of this sort of music, whether it's the modern contemporary music and worship or the old-fashioned church choir, if it's not full congregational singing, it's not following the New Testament pattern. That's exactly right. That's what the, the verses are saying there, that we're to be doing this one to another, Nick. Yes. Uh, when, when you see people, as you mentioned earlier, that uses the pitch pipe like the song leader, and they work on their skill sets. They're using their skill set, and they pitch the song. Naturally, the more accurate they can hit that, the better the people who aren't trained in those matters, they can join in and sing. Yeah. But it, and so it's all right for us to improve ourselves with uh, those aids to, to try to get the right pitch to help the congregational singing, the enthusiasm, uh, is though not the key. It's a matter when God said in John 4 verse 24, Jesus said that he's looking for people to worship him in spirit and in truth. And so uh, they, they were people in that day, the Samaritans that were worshiping one mountain and the Jews was worshiping in another place. They was one of those worshiping in the right place and one in the wrong. But he, he's seeking those that's going to worship him in spirit and in truth. So any time we take away the focus from the worship and the melody singing in our heart unto the Lord, to, oh, that was a beautiful, well-pitched, yeah. <laughs> upbeat, tempo song. When we focus on that rather than singing it with the spirit and the understanding, we're going away from the very purpose of what the song should be designed. That's along, exactly right. along lines of what Dwight and Michelle out in Iowa said. All of our worship needs to be to God. Glory and honor to him and him alone. When you have praise leaders and they do a good performance, people applaud them and not God. Yeah. And then Lou in Minnesota asked a question. What about the mute person who can play an instrument? Are they just out of luck when it comes to making melody in your heart to the Lord? Well, in, in regards to corporate worship, they're not authorized to play the instrument. It's just not. I mean, if they can't sing, then they're not accountable or responsible for singing. But... Uh, no, a, a mute person who can't make a, a, an audible sound, obviously he's not held accountable for doing what he can't do. He, he, he would be just like Cain and Abel in the Old Testament. You know, yeah. God had authorized for Abel to offer a blood sacrifice, and so was Cain. But even though Cain was a farmer, evidently, and brought the fruit of the ground, it says God was displeased. Yeah. So you can't substitute the instrument. If you don't, if you don't have the ability, you're just not required to do. You, you certainly cannot sing if your vocal cords don't yeah. work. Yeah, and and I, I, Lou asked a good question, but I, let me let me just alter Lou's question just a little bit. What about a mute person? Take away that he plays an instrument. Just he's just a mute person. Is he out of luck in regards to that element of worship? Well, I don't think I'd use the terminology out of luck. I'm just saying he can't. He can't participate. He's not able, and God doesn't expect him to do what he's not able to do. Or what about somebody with laryngitis, right? I mean, you know, they they're well. They they've lost their voice. Um, you know, they, they may they're not going to be able to do it. Uh, sing this week. Dwight Dwight and Michelle said, "No, I believe God knows the heart of the mute man. Just because he has a disability does not give them the right to go beyond the teaching of the word." Okay, that's, that's a good discussion. I think that's worthy. That's, yeah, that's worthy. Worthy question. Thanks for asking that. Real quickly. Um, what about worship dramas? We're seeing and hearing more about that. Okay, tell me what that is now. So, actually, it's like a play. It's like a theatrical production. Um, 
acting out, maybe acting out a, a, a particular historical narrative that's found in one of the gospel accounts or maybe found in the book of Acts. And so you assign different people to play a part and you actually, maybe it's a, uh, coming up in Acts where we're starting Wednesday night, this next week we'll probably be talking about the conversion of the Philippian jailer. So we're going to, instead of having a Bible class wherein we discuss this from the scriptures, we're actually going to have different members of the church assigned to play the roles. Jacob, you be Silas, and, and Kyle will be the Apostle How Paul. How do we end up in the stocks, Kyle? And, and I'm going to be the jailer who gets to beat you with, the, oh with, with Rod. Oh, boy. Uh, now, so, you know, what about that? What about that sort of thing? I, I found an article that I thought this was kind of interesting. Uh, let me see if I can get to this. Uh, it's Actually, this is sometimes referred to as performance worship. The, the praise teams, the worship leaders, and this worship drama is, is referred to as worship drama. Um, now, in, in those days, performances, acted out performances were very popular. In the first uh, the, century, you're saying. In the first century. Yeah. Uh, in Paul's day, Corinth had a theater that seated 14,000 people. Oh, boy. Ephesus had a theater that accommodated 24,000 people. Wow. Uh, so, uh, that was a common theater was a big deal in those in those first century uh, cities, but he says, is it not remarkable that not even a hint in the New Testament that the primitive saints employed drama to reach their contemporaries? And then he goes on to say, Jesus went to the very heart of the matter when he put their motives in the spotlight. Rather than sincerely seeking to honor God, they were attempting to be seen of others. We mentioned this earlier. That's in Matthew chapter six. In, verses, in Matthew 6, verse 2, 5, and 16, Jesus condemns doing what you do to be seen of men. That expression, to be seen of men, is from the Greek word theotonomy. I'm not going to say that right. Theotenai. Theotenai. Actually, if you, it's spelled in English characters. T-H-E-A-T-H-E-N-A-I. It's the root word for theater. When Jesus said they do what they do to be seen of men, he used the word that serves as the root from which we get our English word theater. And he condemned it. So the idea of being in these worship dramas where I'm trying to get some type of praise or accolades for how to well, be seen I, of men. I did it. Yeah. Here's what Kent said about it. He said worship dramas during the first century, both Greek and Roman cultures were well known for the drama performances in their respective societies. Yet such dramatic presentations were never adapted in the church. There's no New Testament authority for such. Okay. And so it gets back to that bull riding question. All right, maybe I think the dramas are a good idea. Maybe I think, well, they would help maybe some of the kids to understand the story better. Or they, they, you know, maybe it would keep some of the older folks uh, from falling asleep. Maybe I think that's a good idea. Well, it gets, it's, it's like the bull riding. Just because you think it's a good idea... Just because it doesn't seem bad to you doesn't mean it's right. Otherwise, you've got to let the guy who thinks the bull riding would be good and not a bad idea. Unless you've got to go back to the scriptures, like Kent says, where's the New Testament authority for it? Okay. If you're going to say dramas, but I can't read about it in the New Testament, then I'm going to have to say bull riding, but I can't read about it in the New Testament. There you go. Okay. We're late for a break. You want to keep going? Yeah, let's grab a break and we'll you're gonna finish get, up. You're going to get a break. Okay, we're going to break. We'll, we'll come back and we'll talk about charismatic outburst in worship and would a Saturday night service uh, really be satisfactory? You skipped women. Oh, 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 we got to talk about women too. All right, here we go. Oh, we're wow. fast. All right. We'll, go back. we'll be back right after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. Hi, I'm Wayne Crawford, a member of the College View Church of Christ. If you've never visited with the College View Church of Christ, you may be wondering what our worship services are like. One thing we have at every worship service is music. We believe God has commanded that music be a part of our worship. But something you may notice about our worship is that the music we have in our worship is different than the music used by many in the religious world today. The music we worship God with is strictly vocal. We don't believe God has commanded us to worship Him with instrumental music. Therefore, since we want God to approve of the worship we offer Him, we only worship in the way that he has specified. In Colossians 3.16, God instructs, 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Instructions like this, in which only vocal music is commanded, are the only instructions we can find in the New Testament. Since God didn't tell us that he wanted us to worship him with instrumental music, how can we be sure that he wants that kind of worship? We do know that if we worship God like he prescribed, with vocal music, that he'll be happy with that kind of worship. We hope you'll make plans to visit with the College of Church of Christ to learn more about what our worship is like. We'd love to have you join us in worship with our Creator this Sunday at 9.30 a.m. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. A recent survey defined a practicing Christian as, quote, someone who identifies as a Christian, agrees strongly that faith is very important in their life, and has attended church within the past month, unquote. In the year 2000, 45% of Americans surveyed identified themselves as Christians using that criterion. In February of 2020, that percentage had dropped to 25%. That information is via the Barna Research Group. The Word of God says in Psalm 9, verse 17, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. Back on the program, going fast to the top of the hour. Three more questions. Oh, we got to go quick. About okay. three minutes apiece. All right, so can women have any part in worship service? Yes. Yes, they answer that. And they I think, better. And I think some people might be really surprised to hear us say yes to it. The women do have a part in the worship service. They're participants. They're not. They're not just sitting, you know, like bumps on a log. They are to be a participant in the worship service, uh, and and they and they are not required to be totally mute, silent, because they're under the same instruction the rest of us to teach and admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Colossians three verse sixteen. So they they participate in the singing. There is a limitation placed upon them in. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 34, Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it's not permitted to them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. We've talked about this passage plenty of times in the, before on the virtual Bible study, but verse 34 is a not-but statement, common in the New Testament, and in those kind of statements, the emphasis is on the second. They are not permitted to speak, but and the emphasis is they're commanded to be under obedience or to be in subjection. Then, uh, so, uh, for instance, Jesus said in in uh, John six verse twenty seven, "Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that which endureth into eternal life." Well, he didn't say don't work for your food at all, but your emphasis should be on laboring for the things that lead to eternal life. So, women, it, it's not saying that women. Where it says this, they're not permitted to speak, the kind of speaking that they're forbidden to do is the speaking that would put them out of subjection or obedience to the men in the assembly. So uh, that's the limitation. They can they can speak in the sense that they can speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. They're not commanded to be completely mute in the assembly, but they are forbidden to, to speak in such a way as to be over the men in the assembly. All right. Um, and then, uh, well, here's what Brian, uh, he asked a question regarding women speaking in the assembly. Does James 5.16 make allowance for a woman to confess a public sin herself before the church? Uh, I, I think as long as it was not in violation of the principles. We typically don't do that. We want to make sure we're honoring the principle of keeping women in, in, in the God-given capacity that, that they have. But women... Uh, I, I think they could. I don't, again, we don't typically do that just for safety' sake and make sure we're honoring the rules. But as long as they're not out of obedience, that is, they're not they're not failing to be in subjection in the assembly, then that, that's the that's the main rule. All right. Um, well, I I would ask a, a, another question. Could a mother lean over and whisper to her child who's misbehaving? If you don't stop doing that, I'm going to take you out and give you a whipping. Could she do that? I mean, she's not being silent in the church when she whispers to her child, you better straighten up. I'm, I'm going to haul you out of here. No. She could do that. She's not out. She's not taking leadership capacity in the assembly. All right. Um, Dwight uh, and Michelle, women do have part in the worship. Attending is needed. Singing is needed. They can give their 
means uh, they need to partake in the Lord's Supper. So yes, they have a part of worship. And uh, Kent says women have the responsibility of engaging within the avenues of worship as set forth in the New Testament, just like men who have the same responsibility. However, the New Testament pattern clearly indicates that women are to exercise or not to exercise a leadership role in the actions of worship. Um, all right. Uh, let's move on. Number four. Okay. We ask, what about charismatic outbursts in the worship? Uh, I, I don't know how many of our listeners might have ever attended a charismatic church service. It's, it's an experience. It's a, it's a worthwhile experience. If you've never been to one, you ought to seek one out and go just so you know more of the kind of violations that take place in these. You don't have to do that anymore. Now you can watch on the Internet. You could watch on the Internet. I was at one years ago, and a guy jumped up in the middle of the, of the meeting and started running laps around the auditorium. Just running, just running as hard as he could. He ran, well, maybe four or five laps around the auditorium. Wow. Uh, and, and the explanation was the spirit moved him. Slayed him. The spirit moved him, and he, he couldn't do anything else. He had to. Yeah. You know, to fall down on the floor and, and waller, you know, uh, that, that's what they usually refer to as being slayed by the spirit. Right. That's where the, that's where the, probably disrespectful slang term, holy rollers came from. They would fall down and roll around. Uh, and they claimed they, that the Spirit was leading them to do that, and they, were, they couldn't do otherwise. That, even that is a violation in 1 Corinthians 14. This is a key passage. We keep coming back to 1 Corinthians 14. But uh, in, in regards to the exercise of spiritual gifts, we know those people were, in fact, empowered by the Holy Spirit. We don't believe people today are, but back then they really were. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 27, Paul said, If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. Let the prophets speak two or three, and let the other judge. Notice he says... In verse 33, God's not the author of confusion, but of peace. He says uh, in uh, verse 30, uh, see, what verse am I looking for here? Uh, oh, the spirit, verse 32, the, pro, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. So here are people who actually legitimately were empowered of the Holy Spirit, and yet they were told, if you're speaking in a tongue, but nobody there to interpret, don't use it. If you're prophesying, do it two or three, do it, take turns doing it. You can control yourself. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. In other words, this is not going to overpower you. You're not going to be forced to do something that you're out of... In, you're not going to be rolling around on the floor, the spirit running of, laps. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. All right. Um, here's Kent says, charismatic out, outbursts are nothing more than emotional Pentecostal noise and disorder that violates 1 Corinthians 14.40. Yeah. Uh, are we going to get, are you, 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 can you get number five knocked out? I don't know. This one might be a, let's, let's you hold. Want, you want to hold? I think we better, we don't have time. The Saturday night, what about Saturday night? Let's, uh, I'm going to put this in, in our stack of stuff for okay. a smorgasbord kind of discussion. Uh, so stay tuned and we'll try to get back to the question we didn't get to tonight. What about Saturday night? Here's the, here's the, sort of the teaser about that. You know, the Jews, their Sunday their first day of the week started at 6 o'clock on, on our Saturday night. Their Sunday started at 6 o'clock on Saturday night. So could we meet, as long as it was after sunset on Saturday night, after, after 6 or even more, be, be more specific, after sunset, if we met after sunset on Saturday night and had the Lord's Supper, would that, would that satisfy a first day of the week meeting? And could we go to the lake, Nick, on Sunday morning when the fish are biting, we can be out there amongst them. What about that? Or they, well, you got the other. What if you met on Sunday night after sunset? Could you take, or Sunday night after sunset, could you take the Lord's Supper then? Yeah. So good questions for the next uh, stack of stuff. We're going to try to get to one of those pretty quick, too. Brian in California says, I attended an apostolic service once with a friend, a Thursday night Easter service. Nothing prepared me for the mayhem. They surrounded me, laid hands on me, and were chanting that the Spirit fell on me. Once was enough, he said. Yeah, so Brian has been there. I have too, Brian. I, I, and and it, it is a shocking experience. All right. Nick, thanks for being here tonight. Yeah, and for your comments, uh, glad to have you here. 
Uh, Kyle, uh, thank you for helping us yeah, get it out good. tonight. We're glad to have you. And, uh, Dad, thank you for your time. Thanks, Jacob. Thanks to everyone for joining us tonight, and hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. Hope you make plans to be back here this, next, this, this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.